You say, well, I'm going up in the rapture. I'm not planning to be here for this time frame in human history. You may not. If you know Jesus, you won't be here. But God wrote this not just for those who will pour over it in the final seven years. He has written it for the saints of God to pour over for 2,000 years. Because as we approach the end of time, especially in persecution increases, because there is a pluralism of the religions of the world, then you become the odd man out. Welcome to Search the Scriptures, the Bible teaching ministry of Dr. Carl Brogy, Senior Pastor of Community Bible Church in Beaufort, South Carolina. Today is part three in the conclusion of Pastor Carl's sermon entitled, The One World Religion Reset. Pastor Carl has addressed the perversion of religious Babylon, the power of religious Babylon, and today he will preach on the persecution of religious Babylon. God has a book, and it is called the Lamb's Book of Life. And because God is omniscient, He knows everyone who is going to be saved. That does not change our own free will. We need to make sure that we are a part of God's kingdom. Let's join Pastor Carl now as he continues. And let me just be clear here. I'm not here to bash Catholics. As a former Roman Catholic, I have a deep burden to see Roman Catholics come into the kingdom. In fact, if anyone does the bashing, it's not evangelicals. It's the Roman Catholic Church itself, because in the Council of Trent, which was their response to Luther's 95 Theses, over 100 times, they lay anathemas, damnations, to Bible-believing Christians. And by the way, that document was reaffirmed at Vatican I, at Vatican II, and then at the College of Cardinals in 2010. It still stands as a dogma of the church. Now back here, look at verse 2 of Revelation 17. And those who dwell on the earth were made drunk with the wine of her immorality. So after the rapture, Catholics will carry on, as will liberal Protestants, as will Mormons and Hindus and Buddhists and Taoists and Zoroasterism, and they'll all continue on. And they'll come together. Now that's the perversion of religious Babylon. Secondly, there in your outline, let's think for a moment about the power, the power of religious Babylon. We are told now, beginning in verse 3, And he carried me away in the spirit into, the, into a wilderness, and I saw a woman sitting on a scarlet beast, full of blasphemous names, having seven heads and ten horns. That should sound a little familiar to you. You might want to put Revelation 13.1 in the margin. We studied this three weeks ago. And the dragon stood on the sand of the seashore, and then I saw a beast coming up out of the sea, having ten horns and seven heads, and on his horns were ten diadems. This verse is similar to Revelation 17.3. Symbolic language. Remember in the opening verse, God communicated, he signified, he signed, S-I-G-N, signified the book of Revelation in symbols. And I won't take the time, but we explored why God did that. Most of the symbols are interpreted within Revelation itself or from some Old Testament passage. And so if you look down at verse 9 of the chapter that's open, in both passages, this beast, this antichrist is symbolically described as having seven heads, and its 
explanation is found. Here is the mind which has wisdom. The seven heads are seven mountains on which the woman sits. Now, let me just say there's only one city on the whole planet that has seven mountains. And if you've been to Israel, we stood on the Mount of Olives, and someone asked me, honestly, this was about 10 years ago, they said, why do they call this a mountain? It looks like a big hill to me. Well, uh, why do they call the Sea of Galilee the Sea of Galilee, and there's no salt in it? In different parts of the world, different designations are used to describe geographical locations. In the Bible, a hill is called a mountain. And so some translations render it seven hills or seven mountains. There's only one place on the planet which is known for being built on seven hills. And that, of course, is the city of Rome. And so the headquarters for this religious harlot sits on seven hills or seven mountains. And uh, again, uh, she is described here in verse 3. And he carried me away in the spirit into a wilderness. And I saw a woman sitting on a scarlet beast full of blasphemous names, having seven heads and ten horns. Now, this signifies, as we'll see later on, that these world leaders will stand in open defiance to all that is holy, to all that God stands for. They have blasphemous names. And that's how the Antichrist has already been described for us in the 13th chapter. Now, think about it. The Antichrist comes out of a revived Roman Empire. That's what the book of Daniel teaches. What was the capital of Rome? The Roman Empire, the city of Rome. And so it's not surprising, since there's going to be a revived Roman Empire, that the religious governmental headquarters for the Antichrist will be the city of Rome. And I won't be at all surprised if they'll actually use the property of the Vatican itself. But what you describe here are these kings of the earth who get in bed with mystery Babylon, with religious Babylon, and they commit, in essence, spiritual fornication. Just as Christ has his bride called the church, the Antichrist will have his woman. And notice verse 3, and he carried me away in the spirit into a wilderness, and I saw a woman, remember the woman being this religious harlot, sitting on a scarlet beast. And so the term beast is used of the literal Antichrist, but also of the uh, institution, the world government that he has. Just like we say, well, Hitler burned Germany. I mean, Hitler uh, bombed London. Did he literally bomb London? No, but Germany did. But since Hitler represented Germany, you could say, well, Hitler bombed England and understand what's meant. That's really what is unfolding here. And so what we see here is this wedding together. You have this woman sitting on a beast. Now, the leader of all false teaching in this day, of course, will be the Antichrist himself. And we saw in 2 Thessalonians 2, he will come with false lying signs, wonders, and miracles. And so won't his agents, Jesus said in Matthew 24, 24, for false Christ and false prophets will arise and show great signs and wonders so as to mislead, if possible, even the elect. But at this point in history, the wall of separation between religion and government is removed. Why? Because the Antichrist understands the power of religion and how he can use it for his evil end. Here, by the way, is a picture of the euro-dollar coin. It's a woman sitting on a beast. And if you go, of course, to the European headquarters where their so-called parliament meets, you'll see a statue. 
that's pictured here of a woman sitting on a beast. It's not by accident. It's not by coincidence that the devil knowing the power of religion and government together, they're going to have an entity. I mean, the Antichrist will come along with his false signs, wonders, miracles. These false prophets who are agents of the evil one will do wonders so as to deceive, to deceive even the elect. And if you bring the two together, you have a synergism for a one-world dictator like you've never seen. Now, that brings us third and finally to the persecution, to the persecution of religious Babylon. We read now, beginning in verse 4, the woman was clothed in purple and scarlet and adorned with gold and precious stones and pearls, having in her hand a gold cup full of abominations and of unclean things of her immorality. So this verse indicates that this religious harlot is extremely prosperous. The state will pour money into her coffers during a time of intense economic deprivation. And the state will have her influence and turn her power. The woman was clothed in purple and scarlet and adorned with gold, precious stones and pearls. Just like a prostitute will dress provocatively and luxurious uh, clothing and often adorn herself with all kinds of jewelry. Even so, this false religion will have tremendous wealth that they will bring to the table. But it's interesting because what's descriptive here of her, these gold, precious stones, and pearls are descriptive of heaven and they're just trinkets in heaven. Furthermore, the woman was clothed in purple and scarlet and adorned with gold and precious stones and pearls, having in her hand a gold cup full of abominations and of the unclean things of her immorality. So while this religion appears to be healthy and good and prosperous on the outside, it's corrupt on the inside. In her cup, it's full of abominations and immorality. And that's what often happens in false religion. A religion's Theology is typically dictated by their morality. Think your way through Here's a picture uh, of an interview Pope Francis had on an airplane not all that long ago. And on this particular interview, you can go back and read the whole dialogue. It's rather interesting. He said that homosexuals are God's children. Well, I suppose in a creative sense, but that's not how he meant it. He meant it in a spiritual sense. And that's what evangelicals are doing. We are buying into same-sex attraction as being okay and something that does not need to be repented of. And of course, uh, he conducted a mass for gay Catholics. And he is the first pope ever, it was almost lost under the banner of COVID in 2020, to endorse same-sex homosexual civil unions. I quote from the documentary that they put out, homosexual people, he said, have the right to be in a family. They are children of God. What we have to have is a civil union law. That way they are legally covered. Really? You wouldn't ask them, Mr. Pope, to repent do not be deceived. The unrighteous shall not inherit the kingdom of God. Neither fornicators, nor idolaters, nor adulterers, nor homosexuals, nor thieves, nor covetous, and on the list shall go, shall inherit the kingdom of God. There's hope. Such were some of you. 
You are endorsing civil unions so that they can have their family, so to speak, that God calls wickedness. In an interview, he said, quote, if a person is gay and seeks God and has goodwill, who am I to judge? You're supposed to judge what Scripture has judged. You're not judging the person. You are just repeating a judgment that God Almighty has made. Here's a picture of James Martin. Just a few months ago, the Pope named Dicastery for Communications. That means he is the communications director for the Vatican, and he was just appointed for a five-year term. He was a fellow Jesuit. And if you know anything about James Martin, he had a congregation of homosexual people. And just last week, you can go online and you can watch it on YouTube, he put out a little video where he exalts this theologian by the name of Walter Brueggemann, who basically, just to paraphrase the video, go home and watch it. Brueggemann supposedly sees things in the scripture and these difficult passages that deal with the sin of homosexuality that no one else has seen, making it okay. And of course, uh, this same director of communications just argued in June that Roman Catholic churches across the world should celebrate Gay Pride Month. Why? Because being gay is okay. This is the Pope's communications director. Here's a recent photo just two months ago. It was a gathering. If you've been with me, we did a tour once on the footsteps of Paul. You recognize that place, the Sistine Chapel. Here are 21 new cardinals that the Pope just appointed. I suspect this Pope will probably retire, but he is putting in place people who think and act and vote the way he would. And so what is happening is a stench to God, and what will happen is a stench to God's nostrils because these leaders are described as being full of abominations and of the unclean things of her immorality. Verse 5 reminds us of the source of this coming Babylon. Notice, and on her forehead a name was written, a mystery Babylon the great, the mother of harlots and the abominations of the earth. Now, if you remember, typically when you come to the New American Standard and something goes all caps, you're thinking Old Testament. And that's true almost always. There's only a couple of exceptions, and this is one of them. When there's a title, like the title above Jesus' cross, or here, a title of Mystery Babylon, and then they put it in all capital letters. You know there's no capital letters or minor or small letters to distinguish words in Greek. It's either all caps or all lowercase. The publishers have to put those in. Sometimes it's clear, there's no question, that his is a pronoun for God, so we'll capitalize it, et cetera, et cetera. Well, they put in caps here this title of this woman, but just know this is not some Old Testament quotation. It's a description of this coming world religion. And of course, Babylon in Scripture is a code name for Rome, like Wall Street is a code name uh, in Madison Avenue for the economic world. Babylon in Scripture is a code name for Rome. Peter uses it that way in 1 Peter 5.13 when he says, greet all the saints in Babylon. 
He's speaking, of course, of Rome, if you know that passage. But the point of verse 5 is clear, is that this false religion goes all the way back to its genesis, Babylon the Great, the mother of harlots, all the way back to Nimrod, whom we looked at just a few moments ago. Now look at verse 6, if you will. Um, And let me just say parenthetically before we leave verse 5, notice she has on her forehead. Why on her forehead? Because that's how prostitutes dressed in the first century. That was their trademark. Any first century reader that just jumped out, oh, I know what he's talking about. You see, if you wanted to visit the same prostitute again, you would look for her her symbol across her head. That was her trademark. And of course, the trademark of religious Babylon is similar. She's like a prostitute. And I saw verse six, the woman drunk with the blood of the saints and with the blood of the witnesses of Jesus. When I saw her, I wondered greatly. So he describes this harlot as being drunk with the blood of the saints, with those who witness for Jesus. Some people think, is he talking about church saints? No, remember, every time you see the word saints in the Bible, it's not always church saints. In the Old Testament, God talks about the saints of the Lord. In the church, he speaks of the saints who are in Corinth. We learn of millennial saints, and here we learn of tribulation saints. So the church is gone. God eventually seals 144,000 Jewish missionaries. He has two witnesses on the Temple Mount. He even uses an angel to preach the gospel. And these saints who give their life to Jesus, they pay the ultimate price. Revelation 20 verse 4 says they have their heads cut off. So here's this one world religion. You mean you don't ascribe to our one world religion? No, no. It denies the uniqueness of Jesus that he is Lord. I guess you don't value your head. No, I value Jesus more. You say, well, I'm going up in the rapture. I'm not planning to be here for this time frame in human history. You may not. If you know Jesus, you won't be here. But God wrote this not just for those who will pour over it in the final seven years. He has written it for the saints of God to pour over for 2,000 years. Because as we approach the end of time, especially in persecution increases, because there is a pluralism of the religions of the world, then you become the odd man out. Just spoke with one of our college students. He said, uh, I said, how's it going? He said, well, it's kind of hard being a Christian there. What do you mean? No one ascribes to my morality. Yep. That's the day we're in. And we need to prepare our children for that day. Let me give some applications as we close. Number one, Satan is not against religion, he's for it. He's not against religion, he's for it. The Bible teaches that Satan's not against religion, not at all. In fact, he uses it. When he slithers into the pages of human history and the book of Genesis, he comes with a religious temptation. Genesis 3, 5, he said to Eve, for God knows that the day in which you eat from it, the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, your eyes will be opened and you'll be like God, knowing good and evil. If you eat this fruit, you will be like God. That's a religious temptation. That's not a temptation to fall down. That's a temptation to fall up. One of Satan's chief tools is religion. Here's John. He 
He sees all these saints who won't ascribe to this religion and, and this one world system is drunk with her blood in it. And the text says, I wondered greatly. Paraphrase, I was blown away. Well, listen, as the spirit of Antichrist that has been at work since the inception of the church, as 1 John 2 teaches, it's a predecessor for the coming Antichrist who will literally be embodied in human flesh. But the spirit of Antichrist will grow. And as you see the evil one setting the table, as you see a sovereign God allowing things to take place, Israel in the land, globalism, growing immorality like Lot's day, growing apostasy, then you know things are not going to get easier. They're going to get more difficult. And you need to prepare your children. Because all who desire to live godly in Christ Jesus will be persecuted. You say, well, how do we do that? Well, it's supposed to start with the preacher. Paul tells Timothy that he is to be holding fast the faithful word, which is in accordance with the teaching, so that he will be able to both exhort in sound, it's a word for healthy, in sound or healthy doctrine, and to refute those who contradict. A person who is a pastor is to lead through the preaching of the word. Someone told me again just 10 days ago, You'd have more people in your church if your sermons were shorter. I said, I have no doubt. But that's not what God has called me to. I don't want to be a part of fluffy Christianity. And yet we have these church services that are driven by emotionalism. Someone said hey, to me recently, he said, your church was kind of different. I said, what do you mean? He said, well, you know, I've been in all these churches for a while here, and they're so dark, and the ceilings are painted out, and, you know, the stage is lit, and your lights are on. Yeah. Mm-hmm. What are they doing? You know, their, their music is not really even congregational. It's a bunch of people performing on the platform, unlike this church where we sing and make melody in our hearts to God and to one another. It's a performance. It's an emotionally driven thing. And so we've got books like Jesus Calling, and she teaches you how to write in the first person what God is saying to you. If you've got that book or any of its component parts and and series that have come with you, you should throw them in the basket. You've got Beth Moore who has Holy Spirit goosebumps. And she basically describes these text messages and these emails she gets directly from God and she puts it in the first person. That's wrong. That's extra revelational. That's beyond the scope of Scripture. No, hold fast the faithful word, Timothy. Preach the word. That's what people need to hear. Secondly, The woman represents a unified system of religion. It would be simplistic to say that the woman in this passage represents only the Roman Catholic Church, which is sometimes a common error made by evangelicals. Now, it's obvious that the Roman Catholic Church has moved towards ecumenicism, especially in the last three popes. But this is going to be a one-world religion. It's going to be all bled together. I have no doubt probably they'll use the Vatican headquarters as their capital. It'll be in Rome somewhere. But just remember, Christ died for the Pope. And Christ died for one billion Roman Catholics. 
And don't ever forget that while the Roman Catholic Church in its history has been drunk with the blood of martyrs, during the Reformation, they were involved in murdering one million Bible-believing, Christ-centered Christians for preaching the gospel. And while they may be drunk with the blood of the saints, don't confuse the institution with the people, many who are like sheep without a shepherd, who are apart and attend that church. So I'm not here to bash Catholics. I'm here to win them to Jesus, and you can only win them to Jesus by telling them the truth. Third and finally, make sure that you're part of the kingdom of God. We didn't get to it in verse 8 of chapter 13, but I quoted it a few weeks ago. He speaks of earth dwellers, those who dwell on the earth, who live for this life only. It's literally earth dweller, used I think 13 times in the revelation of unbelievers whose names have not been written in the book of life from the foundation of the world. God has a book, it's called the Lamb's Book of Life. Of course, because he's omniscient, he knows everyone who will be saved. That doesn't change your free will. You need to make sure that your name is written in that book. You say, well, how would I know if it's written there? You choose for it to be written there. You are one of the whosoever wills. Whosoever will call upon the name of the Lord will be saved. Have you done that? Have you called upon Jesus? It's amazing how many states and even foreign countries live stream us every week. Got a marvelous letter from someone just the other day from another state. People are finding Christ. But listen, I know people are listening who've never received Jesus. To whom much is given, much is expected. You've heard the gospel. If the rapture were to happen before I leave this campus today, and it could, it will be too late for some of you. Call upon him that you might be saved. Now, our Father, we thank you this morning for this portion of Scripture that we have been studying. When we look at the world around us and we see the events that are happening, we see it's not falling apart. It's falling together according to your sovereign plan that you wrote about ever before it happened. Help us to be alert to the circumstances. Thank you that we don't have to be discouraged or despondent that the worst that can happen to a child of God is to be executed and to go to heaven. So help us to be faithful, just as we see these saints who are executed during the coming tribulation and those who have died and been martyred throughout the history of the church. Help us to be faithful. Whatever kind of persecution that may come, whether it's being ostracized, excluded from social gatherings, whatever it means, help us to be faithful and help someone today who's never called upon Jesus to say in simple, childlike faith, Lord Jesus, save me. We ask it in his name. Amen. If you enjoyed today's message, you can order a CD or DVD copy by calling Search the Scriptures at 877-787-7478 and requesting program God's Prophetic Schedule 016. One of the most difficult questions posed by both Christians and skeptics of Christianity is the question, what about those who have never heard the gospel of Jesus Christ? Well, 
Dr. Brogy answers that question both biblically and clearly by explaining the justice of God, the lostness of mankind, and the incredible power of the gospel in his book, Are the Unevangelized Really Lost? You can receive your own copy with a donation of any amount to search the scriptures. Please give us a call at 877-787-7478 to receive your copy today. We hope that you will join us tomorrow as we continue to search the scriptures.